Uh, the children have opportunity to go to the children's church. You've already left. And let me just send uh, Paul back there to make sure they get there. They have a great time planned for you this morning. Uh, this is a great day uh, for our, the, the Johnson family because our little boy, Matthew, uh, turns 23 in South Africa. So uh, we had, yeah, our little boy, it's hard to, it's hard to say that. Uh, you know, our youngest child is now 23. We had an opportunity to Skype him last night at 10 o'clock, 7 o'clock his time. He was yawning a little bit more than we were, uh, but he's doing great. And some of you have had opportunity to be on his prayer letters that he sends out by way of uh, Facebook and other ways. And if you'd like to find out more about him, just let me know and we'll send you his old ones. But uh, he's been gone for about three months and in about two, a little over two weeks, he'll be uh, flying back uh, to California. And, and God's been really impressing his heart as he's had opportunity, many opportunities to share his faith by word and action, that that's what he wants to do when he comes back here in a continued way as well. So uh, just be continuing to pray for Matt. But uh, also, as we think about this, this is an opportunity for us to look at what God has for us. So as we do so, let's look to the Lord in prayer one more time. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this day in which we remember the Lord Jesus Christ. And as in a few um, minutes, we'll be remembering him through the communion table. And we pray that we might recognize, as Paul said, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And Father, as we think about it, that's that's the reason that we gather for in a place like this to remember that, that God has rescued us. And Father, might we always remember the greatest rescue is the rescue of keeping us from the penalty of our sin. Father, help us to, to recognize that, that you are here and that you want to speak to us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We've been going through a series in the book of Genesis called The Beginnings. And, and really, Beginnings really kind of speaks to us as far as how God, God got it all started. And also, we could say how it all continues. Sometimes we think the things that we ask God about or the things we struggle with are somewhat unique to us. But let's, let's recognize that the struggles, the challenges, the questions we have are the ones that from the very beginning they had as well. And, and one of the questions really is the one I have for your your message title this morning, what, what is God doing? And particularly if we were on the East Coast rather than on the, the West Coast today, we'd be asking that question probably much more passionately because as things happen in life, particularly on the negative side, we wonder where is God and what is he doing? And if you look at the statistics and they, they change, I, I looked earlier this morning, somehow um, we got an extra hour of sleep. Anybody get an extra hour of sleep or did you just stay up later last night? Uh, you know, you can you can mess with that any way you want to. But as we think about that, uh, some some things have happened, haven't they? And often when bad things happen, interesting enough, people think about what where is God? I mean, they never think about God until they are beyond their own means of handling what's happening in their life and the lives of people around them. The death toll is um, at least 90 in the 17 to 20 states that have been hit hardest by that. The estimates are $20 billion worth of damage. Uh, right now, I guess it's 3.8 million homes without power, and at the height it was 8.5 million homes without power. It, it gets down to a, you know, a personal basis. I was reading about one particular heart, heartache that happened. Uh, uh, Glenda Moore, uh, her two little children were with, with her in, I think, an SUV, and the water came rushing in. It, it literally tore a two-year-old and a four-year-old out of her arms, and they found those two little boys um, a day later in the marshes of that particular area where she lived. Uh, an 82-year-old was caught uh, in the whole 
challenge of that onslaught of water and she hadn't seen anybody for five days and her response was, I'm freezing. And when things like that happen, you are, where is God? And if you find out where he is, you ask him the question, what are you doing? Now, this message is not directly applied to that question because we're going to look at it from the positive perspective. But when evil happens, we need to we need to kind of go back to the source. Why? Why has evil happened in this world? Not only man's inhumanity to man, but philosophers will talk about, but just the evil of the power of nature, the forces of nature that can cause destruction. We need to recognize from recognize from a, a God perspective that God has given us an answer, which is better than no answer. This world was created by a good God, and when he created it, it was all good. And when he plopped us on this planet, it was very good. But because of our rebellion, sin entered into this world. And this sin impacts not only our relationships with each other and with a holy God, but it has affected creation. In Romans 8, it says that creation itself groans until God makes everything right. And so when things happen like this, and it's something God allows, it's not something that God affirms or, or loves, that it happens in terms of bringing heartache and pain to a world. But it is used by him to cause people to look up and recognize that as much confidence that we have in ourselves, that, that we are beyond uh, ourselves to control the things that happen in our life. And so we better turn to someone who can rescue us. And there is only one who can truly rescue us from that which will destroy us forever. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we look at this big book, uh, the Bible, and even we look at one of its more significant books, the very first one, the book of Genesis, we need to recognize that God is through every page. And not only is God through every page, but, but also you could say that Jesus is on every page because we believe in a triune God, one God in three persons. And we're going to see what, what God has always done. In fact, if you ask yourself the question, uh, what is God doing? God is doing what he's always done. And, and we're going to see it from a, a positive perspective this morning. And the first thing I want to say is, is what is God doing? God is showing up. I was reading one story of the, the struggle in, in the New York area, in the New Jersey area, all the things on the left coast. And of course, what they are struggling with is getting gas into their vehicles and it's one thing for it to be for leisure transportation, but think of those who, whose livelihood depend upon getting gas in their, in their cars, particularly those who are taxi drivers. And I remember one taxi driver said, I don't know what's happening, but I know God has a plan. And as we think about that, we, we need to recognize that, that God is showing up even when we don't see him or understand what he is doing. And that has always been the case, even from the very beginning. And, and we're going to see that illustrated this morning in, in Genesis chapter 18. And, and we'll get as far as we can in this passage, and then we'll remember the Lord really showing up as he showed up here on earth and then went to the cross for us. Genesis chapter 18, beginning with verse 1. Then the Lord appeared to him, this is Abraham, by the terebinth trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. And I just want to stop there for a moment. If you were uh, sitting in your home and on your patio or porch or whatever it might be, or if you were out camping and you were in your tent or right outside your tent and the Lord showed up, would you recognize him? How many think you'd recognize him if the Lord showed up? 
Now, a couple of hands, I'd have to be the ones for the majority here. I, I don't know if I would recognize God, depending on how he showed up, if this is really God. And, and as we're going to see in a moment, one of the reasons I wouldn't necessarily recognize him, even if he tried to give me a few clues, is that sometimes when God shows up, I don't recognize him because I'm not looking for him. Isn't that true? If, if we really be the, believe that God shows up, and we believe in an omni omnipotent God, which means all-powerful God. We also believe what's called an omnipresent God, that God is always present at all times in every place, that God is always showing up. But I don't always recognize that because, quite frankly, I'm not looking for it, looking for him to show up. And, and quite frankly, Abraham, who was called a friend of God, it appears in this particular account in his experience with God, he didn't quite get it initially as well. Because God came with a couple of companions. God, and probably theologians say this was a, what they call a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. Which simply means before Jesus came on Christmas, he came other times before that. And here's the time when he showed up in the Old Testament. And he came in the appearance of a man. And we're going to see how Abraham probably didn't get it because he treated all three who came to him the same way. Verse 2. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to, to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, and my Lord there, in that particular perspective, and it's spelled differently if you have Bibles um, that distinguish this. And, the, and look at this. This is, a little, this is a little thing that you can get on the test, right? All right? In verse 1, when you see the, the word Lord, it's spelled in all what? caps all right and then you see the lord in verse three and it's the first letter is spelled with a with a uh, capital letter but the rest are are not and so probably what he is saying here is is sir my sir if i have found favor in your sight do not pass on by your servant please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree and i'll bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts after that you may pass by in as much as you've come to your servant now I want you to understand, as you, as you read the Bible, and you, one way to really understand is, is place yourself in the scene. And, and particularly Abraham was fairly nomadic, and he had a rather large extended family. But he loved to have, have visitors. In fact, hospitality was, is a big thing in the Middle East even today, and it was an even bigger probably thing in the Middle East during Abraham's time. And so what he did with anybody who who loved to see people come, he became very hospitable. But what he didn't recognize in the midst of those who had come to him and these three men, one of them was the Lord himself. Now, if you're thinking this is just way, way beyond how God could show up. uh, Let me just look at a passage in Hebrews 13. In fact, uh, it's in your outline this morning. And, And the writer of Hebrews writes this to his his listeners uh, then as well as today he says, do not forget to entertain strangers. When people come by, when you connect with people, you ought to treat them right is basically what he's saying. Entertain strangers doesn't mean you put on a party for everybody comes to your house. But when you meet people, uh, see them as a value. Um, you know, when <laughs> when Brandon first showed up, up at our house, you know, I was looking at him saying, Oh, this is a sorry individual. All right, no. no. 
I'm so tempted when he comes up here to tell you all the stories that happened that first year he lived in our house. But I'll, I'll resist that temptation, all right? But when people come to your house, you immediately make a, a judgment call. In fact, that's basically what Brandon was sharing last week. Is as we look at people, we immediately begin to judge them. And when we judge them, we place a certain value on them, don't we? How they look, how they speak, how they act. You know, and we begin to say, how important are they? And so the writer to the believers in the book of Hebrews, he said, hey, be very careful to treat people right. That's simply what he says by entertaining strangers. And why? For in so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Now, if an angel came to your house and an angel is simply a messenger or someone sent from God, wouldn't you want to treat them pretty, pretty well? <laughs> yeah, they might they might send a message back up to God. I mean, I visited, you know, the. The old rich is home and, you know, they didn't even uh, open the door and let me in. You know, they, they might say, well, wow, you, you wouldn't want that message getting back to the, the big boss up there, right? And so you need to treat people well because unwittingly that might be someone directly sent by God to you. It could be a, an angel from heaven coming in the appearance of a man. And that happened in the book of Genesis and also happens in the, book in the, in the New Testament as well. But Abraham missed it. The Lord appeared to him, and quite frankly, if the Lord appeared to me, I'd be talking only to him. I'd let the other two go by. And we know also that he probably didn't get it because let me, uh, he says in verse 5, And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts, and after that you may pass by. I would not have let the Lord leave. I want him to stick around. Now, what, what does this really mean to us devotionally this morning? As we try to wonder what God is doing, I want you to begin to just understand that God is showing up. He's always showing up. The heartbreaking thing, however, is that we're not always recognizing it. And again, I want you to understand this about the Old Testament and the New Testament. Sometimes we think that that all these people during those times got to see God dramatically, you know, see him in the. In the, in the pillar of fire and the cloud that led them and, 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 and just see him demonstrably speak out of heaven or, or be able to walk with him or talk with him. That was a rare experience for people back then. But he still wanted them to recognize that he was showing up, he was leading them, he was connecting to them. And, and what they were challenged with is what we are challenged with is that we often miss what God is doing in the little things. And so we're not prepared for him when he shows up in a big way. How should we see God? I was talking to Dean and Karen this weekend, and and Dean had had this experience. One time, uh, actually it was a couple weeks ago, Brandon and and Paul and and I were at a conference, and and they showed this film. And they came up, in fact, before they showed the film, they gave everybody a responsibility. And they said, okay, what we're going to have, we're going to have three people with white shirts on. They're going to be passing balls to each other, basketballs. And we want you on this side to, cast, to count all the times that the basketball is passed between the people with the white shirt on. And the people over here, we want to take those other three uh, young men who have black shirts on, and they're going to be passing basketballs. And I want you to count how many times they pass it in, in a period of 30 seconds. And so, you know, we're all trying to get the answers right, so we're focusing. When it first comes on the screen, it's kind of confusing. You see all the shirts going between each other. So you've got to really focus on whatever shirt you're supposed to, to watch to see how many times to pass the basketball. And so I was really concentrating, and I counted, I think, accurately. There were 14 times in 30 seconds that they passed the basketball around. 
then the, the MC came out and said, now, I want to ask you a question. Okay, first of all, how many times did they pass the basketball and people throw out their numbers? And my, my number was right. Some other people had it wrong. But, they, you know, we were passing the basketball right. So, uh, and they said, well, how many of you, how many of you saw the man dressed up in a gorilla suit walking through that circle of, of people passing basketballs and going right in the middle and beating his chest like this and making all kinds of gestures? I was clueless. I did not. In fact, after he said that, I didn't even believe it. That didn't happen. And then he shows that film again. And you see this man dressed in this gorilla suit, making all these kind of gestures, beating his chest. And I did not once see him. Now, what does that say to us? If we could, if we could miss something like that, could we miss God? When God shows up and he's trying to say something to us or do something in our lives. Can we miss them? I, I want to throw just a couple things for you to look at and to listen for in relationship to God. First of all, this. Look for God as he plans and allows circumstances to draw us to know him. And if we are in a small group experience, and hopefully you are all in a life group, because this is a time you, you kind of unpack what God is saying out of his word. But everyone who has a story about God meeting him or her in a personal way God uses people and circumstances to draw them to faith. And you're wondering, where was God? He was using people and circumstances to draw him for you to understand that Jesus is the only hope for your life. But after you come to know him, then throughout your life, that's what he continues to do. Not only did to know him, but so that you might be used by him. There's going to be a lot of people in this aftermath of of the hurricane Sandy that are going to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And when we are doing life and we're experiencing life, God wants us to show up as he shows up in our lives, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. This is, this is for free. I wasn't planning on doing it, but Matthew 25. This is one of those humbling passages that just cause us to think about how am I showing up as God shows up in my life? This really speaks directly when Jesus returns, but I think it speaks also to how we are to live as well. It, it says in Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse 31, and then we'll jump down a little bit further. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And it was he's showing up and then he's going to have people gather to him and he's going to evaluate how they lived. In verse 34, it says this. Then the king will say to those, verse 34, um, to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And again, if I put myself in that particular passage of Scripture, as Jesus was recounting that to his disciples, I'm thinking, I, I don't get this. In fact, he goes, then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you as a stranger and take you in or naked and, and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to him, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. 
You know, the purpose statement for our church is to honor God by helping more people become fully devoted followers of Christ. And we do that with our words and with our actions. But you, you could shorten that purpose statement. We honor God by helping people. And, and whenever we serve others, we're serving Jesus. And when we show up, then we're going to experience how God shows up in our lives. And we become the feet and the hands of Jesus. Look for Jesus. Look for God by what he does to allow you to know him and, love, and know him more deeply. And then to be used by him. And then for you to understand that his will is ultimately going to be done. To be used by him, to know him, and have his will be done. In Genesis chapter 50, verses 19, 20, it's interesting. And we'll be seeing this story later on in much more depth. But Joseph, who had everything bad go wrong in his life, everything. And his brothers come up, and they're now fearful because they had been the instrument by which a lot of the bad things happened in his life. And Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God, which basically said, Man, I, I'm the place where God put me, but also I am in such an authority, I can do all kinds of things to you. Don't be afraid of that. Why? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about, as it is to this day, to save many people alive. Sometimes God uses very destructive things. To draw people to look up. And it doesn't have to be a hurricane. It can be in your own life where all of a sudden, maybe it's your kids going down a wrong path. Maybe it's a financial reversal. Maybe some things are happening in your health. Where, you know, I, I never think about hardly any parts of my body until something hurts. Isn't that true? And then I start whining and everything. But, you know, when everything's going on, I don't, even th- I don't think any of that. But then when something goes wrong, I want something to be fixed. And when things go wrong in our life, then we want to turn to someone to fix it. Now, we have to admit that sometimes when trials come, people don't get better, they get bitter. But at least the opportunity for them is to look up and not around. Real quickly. That's how you look for God. That's how you see God. Is you see him using things to get you to know him, to be used by him, and understand his will. Uh, how do you listen to God? Listen to God as he speaks. And, and if you want to hear God, don't listen for, to a voice from heaven. Listen to what he's written down. Listen to God as he speaks to us clearly out of his word. Psalm 119, 105 says, your, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. If you've ever been to... Um, my office, which is just a mass of books, okay? And then my garage, actually, there's a mass of books. But, you know, um, there are a number of those books I haven't read in any depth. But when you read, man, the author speaks to you. If that be true of a human author, how much more deeply is it of the heavenly author? Who is has recorded for us what we need to hear and to know, but we, we don't hear him because we don't, We don't listen to him out of his word. What is God doing? He's showing up. But our problem is we don't recognize him because we're not looking for him and what he's doing. Secondly, what is God doing? God is doing the impossible, even though we think the idea is laughable. Uh, Let's turn down to Genesis chapter 18, beginning at verse 19. Then the three who appeared, probably there were two angels with the Lord in in this uh, place. what they call a theophany or a Christophany, a, a pre-incarnate 
representation of Christ here on earth. Then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, here in the tent. And he said, I, I, will cer- I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now, they've been looking for a son for a long time. It was promised 25 years ago. Abraham's 99. She's 84, 85. And she's thinking, this, this ain't going to happen. It hasn't happened now, so it ain't going to happen. I'm speaking like Brandon at the moment, okay? Um, I'm using his grammar. So anyway, it's not going to happen, all right? He doesn't, there's no way this is going to come to pass. And Sarah was listening to the tent, which was behind him. And now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, you know, even, even older than me, all right? And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? That was her name for Abraham. And that's why I usually try to get Alice to call me as Lord, but she hasn't quite picked that up yet. Verse 13. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he, the Lord, said, no, but you did laugh. Now, what's laughable about this is when we do something and we think somehow we can hide that from God. <laughs> God, I didn't do that. Who are you trying to fool? All right. God sees everything, hears everything. Now, the thing is, we need to recognize, however, there's a reason why Sarah laughed. And there's a couple of reasons why people laugh. People laugh sometimes because something is funny or it's, it, it's kind of something that produces joy or just, you know, a smile that breaks out and a sound. And some of you have some crazy sounds when you laugh. All right. But... But, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. It's just the joy overflow of life. But there's other kinds of ways of life, isn't there? It, it's, it's laughing out of ridicule or scoffing. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That kind of thing. And, and that's what Sarah was doing. Now, we might not laugh out loud. In fact, quite frankly, it looks like Sarah laughed within her spirit. But God saw that even, even though it didn't come out loud. God knows when we scoff at him, believing something can't be done. And God, in his own words, says, is anything too hard for God? Of course, that's a recurring theme, isn't it? In Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, it says, But Jesus looked at him and said to him, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. In Luke chapter 1, verse 37, For with God nothing will be impossible. Now, now piggybacking on the theme of last week, what is most important to God? It's people. And, and often if we make that judgment or value statement about people, we, we might describe somebody as hopeless. There's no way that person's life can be turned around. And, and yet that's who God specializes in. In Matthew chapter 9, it speaks about people that everyone had discarded except for Jesus. But we can broaden that principle what is it in your life that right now you think it's impossible? Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a, a direction you've been going down. And you've tried to change so many times and you, you, you fail miserably. Maybe it's someone in your life that you just can't stand. And you, and you just think, I, I just, the only hope is to, to do whatever I can to, to get away from them. And you, you know, in your own spirit, God said, I, I want you to forgive them and I want you to love them. Maybe it's maybe it's it's something, you know, it's it's God's will for your life. But you say, how could I do that? I don't have those kind of gifts or abilities. Really, if you if you were to talk to Alice and I in terms of Matthew, Matt, as he's growing up, I, 
I, I, we did not ever envision him being a person who would want to go to another country and, and teach Bible studies to kids. I mean, you couldn't get a word out of Matthew. I, I, didn't, I didn't know if he could speak till he was probably eight, you know. <laughs> but he, he began to be open to what God might do in his life. And see, we need to recognize, what is God doing? He, he's showing up so us to know him, to hear him, to see him. Doing things in our life that, that will make a difference. And then when we hit that, that wall, that God, he, he, he does the impossible. He, he brought a child to a person who's on the inside was dead to bearing a child. And she gave the honest reaction. She, she, she laughed spontaneously. This can't happen. You've you got to be kidding me. But God is, is doing the impossible. But what else is God doing? Let, let's look at the story again. And we're not reading every verse in this chapter. It's filled with all kinds of nuggets. But it, it goes on. And, and what I would kind of hang this next point on would be this is that God is saving people for a purpose. Sometimes we, we, get the, we get the mistaken idea, okay, the big thing, and it is the big thing, to, to cross the line of being from darkness into light, from being a person who is guilty of their sin and now be forgiven of their sin. And, and that is the great miracle. But, but God doesn't want to simply now leave us as a forgiven people. He wants us to be used for him now to touch other lives. God saves, uh, saves people for a purpose. Uh, let's look at this. In Genesis 18, beginning in verse 16, Then the men rose from there and, and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them and to them on their way. And, and the Lord said, interesting, the Lord starts talking to himself. Does anybody out there talk to himself? I talk to myself all the time because I know you guys hardly ever listen to me, so I'm talking to myself all the time, all right? And, and the Lord said, Shall I... Hide from Abraham what I am doing. And in your life group this week, we're going to talk about, you know, do we know everything God knows? Does God tell us everything that he knows? And the answer to that probably is what? No, he doesn't tell us everything. But there are some things he, he does reveal to us. But there are some things he's, he's wondering about. Ah, is this something they really need to know? And we talked a couple of weeks ago, the need to know. Shall I hide this from Abraham? But what I want to focus on is this. Since Abraham, verse 18, shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that. And here's the purpose clause in order. Why has he known him? Why has he come to know, brought him into relationship to him for a purpose that he may command his children and his household after him. Now, for those of you who have been at Grace Hills for any length of period of time, there's there's a word beginning with the letter O that stands for household, and that's the word oikos. So he said, I I have saved him for a purpose, and that purpose to impact his children, and that's our primary responsibility if you have children is to impact them. But it doesn't stop there. He said, I have saved saved him in order that he might command his children and his household after him that they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Very simply, he said, I have saved Abraham. I have blessed Abraham to be a blessing to others. I have taught Abraham truth so he might teach truth to his children, but not only to his children, to his household, to his five to ten. And Abraham had a larger household to everyone he knew personally 
and connected with. I want him to be my spokesman to teach them truth. Now, the question for all of us is, do, do we get it that we are saved for a purpose? God has left us here for a reason. And there are people within your oikos, your relational world, that you'll have the greatest impact on if you seek with all your heart to live it and then look for opportunities to speak it. And because of his great love for Abraham, he he was going to reveal what he was going to do at Sodom and Gomorrah because he didn't want Abraham to be so distracted by what was going to happen that he couldn't that he couldn't function. And I guess we have to say this about us. The need to know, if there's something we need to know, God will give it to us. And if we think we need to know, we don't get the information, then God simply says, you don't really, really need to know. In this particular case, when he was going to be sending judgment to Sodom and Gomorrah, we'll see some of the specifics next week in Genesis chapter 19. He knew this would break his heart because his family was there. And so he wanted to reveal what was going on. But it was for a purpose. The purpose so that Abraham would be more equipped and prepared to live out what he was supposed to be to teach his children and his household, his oikos, the truth about God. God has saved each one of us for a purpose as well. Are we reaching out into the people that we know and are are going to know and want to show what's most important to them, which is the love of God? What is God doing? He's showing up. He's doing the impossible. And he's saving people for a purpose. I like this passage in Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that God, that all things work together for good to those who who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. We are all saved for the purpose of becoming more like Christ, and then showing that Christ to others. Lastly, this morning, God is being gracious and merciful. Even though God will judge sin. Now, we're just going to touch on this particular section on Genesis chapter 19. But, but here we see that, that, that God is so filled with, with mercy and grace. And, and grace is, is giving us what we don't deserve. And mercy is not giving us what we do deserve. In a moment, when we go to the, the, t- the table of remembrance, hopefully if, if you're here and desiring to participate and yet recognize that, that Jesus received what we deserved. We deserve the penalty for our sin, which is death, which is complete separation from the creator God forever. And he took that for us. Abraham, in this section, begins to, to pray. I'll say, God, will you somehow save Sodom and Gomorrah if you can find just 50 righteous people there? They said, okay, God, I know I'm not deserving to ask this again, but how about if you, would you save Sodom and Gomorrah? And earlier in this section, we, we've got God saying that, that the evil that's happening in Sodom and Gomorrah is so great that justice demands that punishment be enacted. But, but Abraham is, is thinking about in, in the midst of so many, how, how about those who are not participating in that sin? Would you, would you somehow save the 50? And then he asked for the 45 and then the 30 and then the 20. And then he gets down to 10. 
And then the conversation is over. How gracious and merciful is God? And he does judge sin. But how gracious and merciful is he? He went beyond the request of Abraham. He saved the four that found faith in the living God. Which, which speaks to us this morning. He'll save the one here this morning. That's facing a crisis eternity. Who will come and run to, to the only one that can do the impossible in their life. Which is show up for a purpose to change a life forever. And how does that happen? How does that happen? It, it, it's, it's what's always happened that way. It's a person coming to the point where they, where they see God and they admit their need. That they fall so short of his standard. And, and they turn from their sin, which separates them from the living God. And, and then they put their faith. They, they believe that, that God and God alone, his son Jesus, when he died on the cross and rose again, is the only way and hope for their sin to be dealt with. And then they make that commitment. To follow Jesus as Lord, God, and Savior. God is the gracious God who is wooing us to himself. But there comes a point in time like in Abraham's life. He, he believed God and then it was accounted to him to be right with God. You know what God is doing? Is he showing up in your life? Are you, are you looking for God and, and how he is moving in your life to speak into your life? And to show his presence. Are you believing in from the impossible? Are you seeing his purpose in your life? Have you experienced his grace and mercy? Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that we might be open to what you want to speak into our life about. And maybe there's someone here this morning that, that is really facing what they think is the impossible. And they need not only talk to you about it, but maybe they need to talk to another and pray with another about what they're, what they're going through. Some might be going through a hopeless experience and they, they just can't see God and they need the assurance of, of your presence. Some of us maybe have been living lives without any direction and we, we haven't seen that, that purpose you have left to, to impact the people around us by our actions and our attitudes and our words. Father, help us to be a people that, that know what you're doing because... You've always, you've always done it this way. Now, Father, as we remember that you at the table, might you speak into our lives in a special way. And we praise in Christ's name. Amen. I've asked a couple of our elders to come up to the front, uh, John on this side and Steve on my left. And if you'd like to pray with someone as you're taking communion, you can just sit next to them and, and just uh, share a a need or a concern, and they'll pray with you.